to the Butter Chicken Podcast, hosted by DJ Shirai and DJ Juicy. We focus on the stories of individuals who are making great impact in society and culture. The Butter Chicken Experience is well-cooked, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the vibes. You got the culture? Buttery. Yes, 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 party people, New York City and worldwide, it's your boy, DJ Sharad. And DJ Juicy, baby, what's up? Juicy. What's going on? Yo, I feel so good today, bro. Word? Yes, I feel ecstatic today. Tell me why. I feel great because today is a day where, you know, there's just uh, there's just so much positivity going on in the South Asian scene uh, on a global level. Uh, I went on to Instagram. I just saw so many people that whose music I really mess with heavy, putting out records, putting out content. And it feels like a resurgence again. I know we've, we've continually talked about this. And sometimes there's lulls, even in like this year of 2018. We've had like, like the early part of the year, like a lot of music was coming out. A lot of dope shit was coming out. And then in the summertime, I guess artists were touring. People were busy. There was a lot of content. And now all of a sudden we're here. It's towards the end of the year. We're in fourth quarter. And I'm just getting flooded with emails of like record after record, new artist, senior artist, people have been in the game for a while. Um, and, and then the kid just from around the block putting out records. Mm-hmm. And as a DJ, for me, you know, one thing I've, I've, I've always kept to is keeping my pulse on the, on the music. Right. Keeping, keeping my hands on the newest, the freshest shit. Right. Um, but when, when certain artists come out with records, it, it just, it just, it's different. It feels different. Right. And I think beyond all that, uh, you know, that's all great that the, the content's coming out. <clears throat> the sense of unity that's that's here, and we've been talking about it on a couple of our episodes, is I feel like has uh, has just grown, and, and everyone's kind of just sticking together now more than ever, which is so positive, and it's so perfect for what we're trying to do, pushing our culture forward, right? So, Absolutely. For those of you who just tuned in, who have never tuned in in your life, this is an episode you're going to want to listen to front to back. We are the Butter Chicken Podcast, and our objective is to tell the stories of people making impact in culture and society. And uh, hey, Juicy. Yo. Why are you looking at me with those angel eyes, my friend? <laughs> I don't know, man. You look pretty... Uh, I'm, actually, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> <laughs> are you so confused? <laughs> oh, man. Um, Listen, man. We don't need to waste any time. I don't think so. Let's get I right think today it. in studio, we have... I would say someone who's... I look at him as one of the OGs in the scene, someone who really, really set the tone early on when the Urban Desi scene was sort of just being cultivated. He's a guy that put out record after record, a boatload of hits, toured the world and back, has done so much in his career, uh, continues to push the envelope with new music, and he's here today. It's our boy, all the way from Canada, my man Raghav. Raghav, what's up, bro? I appreciate that. Canada's not far, though. <laughs> it's not far, <laughs> but I so mean... It's so New York of you to make it sound like it's all the way from... <laughs> it was like... Well, well but look, the man. truth is, though, that I came from further than that for this. Let's talk about it, man, because I've been emailing you for like the past two weeks. And yes. you've been really, really responsive well, on I'm these a good emails. human being. Facts. I respect yeah, it's that. Facts. About, what do you mean? I'm not going to not email you back. <laughs> There's so many artists we email... And it might take a week. It might be like, yo, email my PR, email my this, email right, my that. Right, because it's so hard to... 
but Post like reply and send a sentence <laughs> but i'll be emailing you and you like a couple hours later sometimes in 20 minutes whatever like i'm getting an email back i'm like yeah, wow you know like i think you got to get over the narcissistic artistry and just i mean sometimes you don't want to connect with everybody that facts. i get some i get some strange <laughs> i get some strange messages and requests in the day and i go that's not someone i'm going to reply to but uh, obviously being yourself and just in general i mean I don't think we should laud anybody for just being generally kind anymore. I think that's a great attitude. I think that's the attitude of a seasoned artist. And when we see even some young artists, it's hard to even get them on the DM. Or they're, or they're just hitting everybody up. Mm. It's like the over hustle. Yes. Like, I got to be in contact with every fan. And that sort of uh, feeds the constant narcissism of being somebody you're not, you know? Uh, it took me a long time to feel entirely comfortable and exactly who I am and my faults. And, you know, uh, the world's changed a lot. Like, my first record came out 14 years ago. So, the was world, So Confused the first record? So Confused was the first single, yeah. Wow. That was such a banger. Classic, bro. It's, you know, I put that on a mixtape in 2004. Did you? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. Thank I you. remixed it too, but it was bootleg, so got just local, but it was good. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you a copy. Hey, bootlegging has impacted most of my career. I'm glad that you, I'm, I'm glad that you started that. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to have to put the mic a little closer to you. It's a little... Sure, uh, yeah. How's that? Yeah. That's yeah. good. I know you're tired. You came off the flight. You came straight to us, so I appreciate that. Um, sure. Raghav, just to, to dive right into it, my man, mm -hmm. um, you've had a long, illustrious career. Um, a lot of our fan base in my age group, we're very similar in age, uh, and Juicy's a bit younger. He's about a decade younger than us, but your first record 14 years ago, yeah, you're still here putting out music. Yeah, with the break in between. A long break, so which we're going to discuss. So it hasn't been like 14 straight years. Right. It's not really that long. Like, you got to remember, like, we grew up, I grew up buying Michael Jackson records where it was amazing and then he took four years off. You know what I mean? Right. So it took a real long time to adjust to where it is today where people treat music a little more disposable than how we grew up. A lot more yeah. disposable. Yeah. Uh, how we grew up kind of consuming it, which is another word that I hate. You know? Uh, so for me, it was all about is it going to be great? And then in the middle years, you know, we'll, we'll go through the whole journey, but in the middle years, you kind of go, I just want to keep my head above water and I want to have a hit for eight weeks. And what I really had to do the past couple of years is get away from that mentality and go, all right, what's going to be my legacy? What's going to chapter, what's chapter two going to be? Uh, hopefully of many chapters, but you never know. And what's uh, chapter two going to be and how's that going to be received? Um, how do I create a legacy beyond what I just started and, and done for the last decade? So let's take it back. Let's take it back to Storyteller real quick. Mm -hmm. Take it back to prior to Storyteller. How does Raghav get in the game? What's your story, man? Boy, I a, mean... A lot of these kids that are listening yeah. might have never heard of you. And when they look up your catalog, yeah. they're going to know the depth of it and how big those records were. And our goal is to inspire and also educate the youth. Well, um... You know, I grew up in Calgary. I was born in Toronto, but when we were, uh, when I was two, we moved to Calgary, which is like, if you could pick a place on the planet that would have been least likely 
for an R&B inspired Desi artist to come out of, you would probably, they would probably go Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I grew up in Calgary, you know, listening to uh, various stuff. So my mom and dad were listening to Opie Nayard and Kishore Kumar and Muhammad Rafi. And uh, I'm listening to Michael Jackson and my sister's listening to Harry Belafonte. And somewhere in the hallway of that home is kind of where the reggae, R&B, Hindi, Bollywood kind of fusion happened. But I knew from, like, my very first memories are of singing and feeling people loving it. It was like from, I, I, did, I did my first show when I was four. So, you know, there's all these talks about, like, I, I wish I could give you a longer answer in terms of when I knew I was going to make music. But I've known since I was five years old that I was going to be music. Even when I played sports, like, I love ice hockey. I'm a true Canadian like that. When I played hockey, I was like, oh, no, I need to wear a throat card because I don't need a puck in my throat. It's like 12 years old going, I don't need a puck in my throat because I'm never going to make the National Hockey League, but I do want to sing. Now, I never knew how it was going to happen. I never knew what I was going to do. I'd have sung jingles on a commercial. I just love singing. And eventually that turned into loving songwriting. So I knew from a very young age I wanted to do it with zero idea of how to do it. And I thank God for that naivety because had I not had that, I wouldn't have tried. It's too hard. I wouldn't have tried and I wouldn't have gone through all the bullshit and trials and tribulations that I went through before I made it, after I made it, and I'm still going through. It's, it's like, it's not uphill. It's like 90 degrees straight up. Mm. Um, particularly when there's expectations to be met. So uh, I'm very lucky that I was dumb and I just loved what I did. Like from the very purest form, I make music because I love music and it's been in my blood and I was going to make music no matter what. Bars. Bars. <laughs> Depth. Your first record, So Confused, set a, set a tone in, in the culture. And when I say the culture... A lot of people now are throwing this word, these two words together mm -hmm. a lot, and that's urban desi. Right. I don't know if you hear it, but every label I walk into or every meeting or every young kid I talk to or any up-and-coming artist I talk to from the diaspora, is, they're categorizing themselves as urban desi. Right. Essentially, not necessarily from an urban community, but a desi that happens to make music that sounds... That it's influenced from hip hop, reggae, or R and B. Sure, that's this whole urban desi genre of music, and now it's turned into a subculture of desi, and then a subculture of hip hop. You did it really, really early on, and now hearing that this kind of spawned from your hallways of your home, did you know what you were doing, and did you did do that with intent, or was that just what you were feeling? And like, how did how did that sound come about on that first album? I mean, I did it with, with intent when I did it, but uh, there was no idea. Uh, there was no idea that's what it was going to be when I first wanted to make music. When I lived in Canada, I suppressed my Indianness. You know, I had no Indian friends. If my parents were playing Indian music in the car, I was like, you better turn that shit down and not embarrass me in front of my friends. What was, so, what was, the, what was the demographic of the people there at the time? It was like 99.5% white Canadian and 0.5% everybody, everybody else. else to fend for themselves. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but we had a tight community you know we had cousins and i i was very lucky i had a tight community and as as the years have gone by it's gotten bigger and other folks are doing stuff but at that time like in in my school elementary junior high uh high school if it felt like it was just me there were other folks but i never really felt part of that crowd either because those guys were all planning to do something very different from me and as we got in high school it was like an open secret that this guy wants to be a singer when he grows up and uh, although i have no i have no factual evidence to prove this i always got the sense that the other indian kids or south asian kids in the school their parents were like stay away from him he's going to be a terrible influence you're going to be a doctor you're going to be an engineer you're going to be whatever this guy spends all day in the music room i don't know what the hell his parents are doing you know this is this is someone that you want to have a laugh with but you got to focus on what you got to do so i never really felt intensely like i belonged on either side of the coin there when i finally uh i'm skipping a few steps here but when i finally got to the uk i went to study at paul mccartney school in uh-huh. liverpool someone else we know did that too yeah jazz jazz dami also oh, did he go there? yeah he did oh, yeah okay, and right. he told us how he got there and that's that's it's tough to get there yeah it's not an easy uh school is it to tough get to get into the paul mccartney school i mean i guess so i don't know i i can't remember i did an audition <laughs> and they they told me I was in, so it didn't feel incredibly Maybe difficult. Jazz was lying to us. <laughs> yeah. <All right. laughs> He's like, really hard to get in the school that I got into. Jazz, jazz Trump Dami. <laughs> but, um, I Jazz, guess, we love you, bro. We just fucking around. <laughs> uh, you know, I had never really experienced any musical failure. So it was wow. kind of like, oh, I'm going to apply for the school and I'm going to get in. And um, still have no idea what I wanted to do. How? What year is this? 2000. It was 2000. Wow. So you're like fresh out of college or like I was like fresh out of high school. Fresh out of high school. And then. uh, Did you go to college? Well, that was a university. Oh, that's a full university. Oh, I thought it was a program. Associated with John Moore's. Okay. So I did a year there. But in that year, I would turn on TV in England. And goodness gracious me was on TV. And Nittansani's selling out Royal Albert Hall. And my av- all my white friends there were going for Indian food, and they knew as much about Indian food as my uh, as my family did growing up. It was like obviously the UK and India have some complicated, intertwined relationships mm-hmm. that made me go, "Oh my God! Like I can really be Indian here." They get the sentiment of it, and uh, I should really now bring out all this Indian musical knowledge that I have and incorporate it with uh, all the Blackstreet Boys to Men, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson writing that I've been doing. And also in the UK is an explosion of the Caribbean culture. And it's like, okay, this is my sound. This is exactly who I'm going to be. Interesting. So you kind of, you put your own sound and your own vision together. There was no outside force telling you like, this is what you're going to do. Anyone that tells you there's never an outside force is full of shit. I mean... There's always influences, whether it's management or the people you work with. It is, it's a journey. This podcast is, is not just you. It is, a, it is a, you bring in artists, you have other people. It's going to grow. It's going to evolve. It's art. It's like constantly moving. It's Plato. It's never going to stay in, in, this, in the same form. So uh, I could never take credit, not just to be humble, but truly no artist can fully take credit for their sound being entirely them or whatever 
I will say this though, those sounds and those genres are, and the impact they had on my upbringing, I think were kind of made me unique and were specific to me. What were, you, what were your uh, parents' sentiments or your family sentiments on your this profession or your goals of being a musician? Were they supportive? Was there any pushback? Supportive uh, mixed with probably a tremendous amount of concern. Mm. You know, I think they thought, we have a smart boy. He's He could do anything that he wanted to do if he put his mind to it, but he refuses to put his mind to anything mm. other than music. So I think they felt... Um, I think they felt helpless, but also lucky. Like, what more could you ask for than your kid knows what he wants to do or she wants to do? They're passionate about it, and they're going to do it. Uh, ultimately, they didn't know what form it was going to take, and I'm sure they were afraid of potential failure and that I would just be uh, living my life kind of chasing dust. But I was young enough that they supported it. They were, they were incredible. They never said no to me, and it wasn't such that I didn't have uh, my mother and my father's support. They were like, go do it. You know, my, my dad didn't have a lot of support from his family uh, growing up uh, for things he wanted to do, and he went and studied abroad, and I think he could have used that. I think he could have ended up being the same way, and he was exactly the opposite of that. He was entirely like, you got to do what you got to do. It's your life. You want to be happy. Just make sure you have a plan and you don't go about it in a very stupid way. And they saw I was focused. I mean, it wasn't like I went to high school and I just sang songs in the hallway all day. Right. Like I study music. Right. And uh, they they knew it was more than a passion, that it was a calling. Interesting. I, I think that uh, some people have that, um, the support of their parents and, and who are progressive and have the foresight, right? And then there's those uh, immigrants who've migrated here who are very, like you said, the other friends that you had in high school, doctor, lawyer, engineer. So it's uh, it's always refreshing to hear. Some of that has to do with the kid. You know, like... With what kid? Some of that has to do with the child who's being parented. Right. Like, it was very clear from an early age that this was a calling for me and it was something I wanted to do really passionately and I put everything into it. Mm -hmm. I think that's not, as I'm getting older and I'm talking to folks, not everybody knew what they wanted to do or really had it figured out that this is exactly what their purpose was. And so then I think it's basic survival and you want to make sure your kids do well. But for me, there was no other option. I never went to university and took a backup course. Right. Like this is what I... This is what I was going to do. It's very interesting. So when you're at this Paul McCartney school and you, you figured out what was happening in the UK, your sound starts developing. Uh, not so much there. I mean, uh, I, it was in my mind there. Right. But I joined a boy band there. Oh, wow. I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, a local boy band called Eleven Seven. A Desi boy band? No, not at all. They were all amazing vocalists, dancers, um black and i was a terrible dancer always have been <laughs> always will be you know a pretty 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 good singer and i learned a lot but i just wanted to like to me it was like oh my god i'm gonna be in boys to men this is amazing you know right it was like boys to men with an indian guy and they were managed by a guy named erskine thompson erskine is quite the legend in the management community in england because he used to manage uh, maxi priest 
and he managed want to be close to you <laughs> big and, record and he managed uh, subsequently managed Slime Robbie okay and that was actually the early connection to how I ended up working with Slime Robbie ah, on my stuff ah interesting but Erskine passed away okay so I went back one Christmas or January or something I went back home and I got a call that Erskine had passed away he had leukemia and the band was about to break up, but we'd had we'd been offered a development deal by Pete Tong over at London Records. So, out of loyalty to Erskine, who was like very well respected, we went down and did a showcase for Pete, who had us on this like development deal thing going on, and a bunch of industry industry folks were there, and we performed, and we did we did okay, and it was there that I ended up meeting my future manager, Nyron, and met Danny D and Tim Blacksmith and all those guys. It was there that I met them. And I remember uh, Danny and Nyron and and Tim all came up to me and they're like, you know, you are definitely the most awkward person in this group, <laughs> but there's something also special here and you should keep rolling forward with it. It may just not be in this group. And the group disbanded. We were nominated for a mobile for uns- best unsigned act. I don't think we didn't win. The group disbanded. I ended up leaving Liverpool because I was like, you know, I want to go to I want to go to London and really curate my sound. And I lived in London in like adverse poverty for like three years. Like, I've lived twice in 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 almost close to poverty levels in my life. One was when I studied with Seth Riggs in Los Angeles, who was a vocal coach to the Stars, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder. So I was that earlier. That was earlier. That was like right, like right, like the month after I graduated from high school. So the parents cut you off at that point. They weren't funding you. They were great, but I always felt like, uh, why should they be funding my punt? Mm. You know, this is like I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we weren't billionaires, so they helped me get down there. They paid for a few lessons with Seth, and eventually, it, like he ch- he charges a lot of money. He was he like he would be working any given day. He was yelling at Michael Bolton in the studio or Stevie Wonder's on the phone. I heard Michael Jackson do his warm-ups on the phone. Wow. It was actually through Michael Records that I found Seth uh, and through my high school music teacher because if you open up any Michael Jackson album, it says vocal consultant Seth Riggs. So I used to study, like this is something kids won't relate to now, but... Album covers. uh, uh, Credits. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I know, I could name you... Every bass player, keyboard player, mixer, engineer, da 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 And, you know, it's like I, I did a record a few months ago, and I was like, oh, I've never had Bernie Grundemann master my record. I'm going to get Bernie, to, you know, I'm going to get those guys to do it. So uh, when, when the thing came up about Seth, is like I knew who he was. I was prepared. He wasn't just a vocal coach. Like I knew Seth Riggs was the coach of the star. So I went down to L.A., and I was broke. Like, I was more than broke. Like, I came from a nice middle-class Indian family, and if they had known how broke I was, I was lucky. I had some other friends that had moved down earlier, so I, had, I always had a roof over my head. But uh, I remember, I remember like, not ha- really not having enough food, uh, enough money to buy, like, decent food, you know? And I watched an interview with Joan Rivers where she said when she was broke and she was trying to make it, she used to go to McDonald's and take uh, ketchup packets, and then go home and boil the ketchup packets and make tomato soup out of it. Damn. Yeah. So I, I did that a few times. Like it was. Wow. It August. was. And I, like my, my parents didn't know they could have sent me the bucks to do it. But it just felt morally intrusive into their lifestyle to 
ask them to invest further into this weird desolateness of a choice that I'd made, you know what I mean? So I had a few catch-up packet days. And then in England, when I moved down to London, again, I always had a roof over my head, but they were, they were, it was not always pleasant, and there was some sketchy days in terms of just I wasn't making any money. I don't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a job. And you had to invest in your and sound. I, and and, your, I'm, and I'm writing songs on my notepad, and it was crazy. It was amazing, though. So in like your darkest of times, like what motivates you to push through? They weren't dark at all. Well, not dark, rather. Let me take that. Like yeah. when you you lowest, mentioned your lowest financial low points. Financial low points. Like oh, I just I always just kind of thought that's what happens when you're 19 mm. and you're 20 and you're living an unconventional life. Like they never felt low. I'm I'm right. really saying that in retrospect, you know, I'm I'm staying at the Ritz tonight, or for example, right. Uh, that does feel really low. But at the moment, you're going. No, this is this is what it is. Right. Like it just felt like that's what had to be done. Right. You're paying your dues. Totally. Yeah. I was like, who cares? This like tastes like soup. I'm good. So uh the outlook was incredibly positive because I just thought it'll happen and if it doesn't happen, I'm gonna give it a shot for four, five, six, seven, eight years, and then then I'll have to figure it out. But there was uh, there was I wish I could give you a more emotional answer to that yeah. and say that I really had to dig in deep sure. to some core belief system to make it through. <laughs> but it's just not true. I, I was like, this is what it's going to be. And I was very lucky. You know? But I think having, the, having just having the, 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 the mind power to accept what it was and just go to work is something that is a really valuable lesson to, to kids listening to this show. Like, you just said, this is what it is. I'm going to put in the work where most people stop at the idea. Mm. And like a lot of people want to emulate that singer or that rapper or that producer or that DJ. But what happens behind closed doors and what happens when you're not on stage and what happens when you're not at the radio station or not at this podcast, you're actually putting in work consistently. And for those of you listening, you know, there's a common thread in, in, in what we try to talk about here at Butter Chicken. And that's like, Yo, you got an idea? That's cool. Execute it. Because if you don't execute it for yourself, who's going to stand by you and help you? Who's that team? What's that team going to do for you? Well, and ideally, uh, execute it without the fear of failure, you know? Usually what happens is you get knocked down once, you get knocked down twice. Now we got social media. Everyone goes on and they compare their lives to someone else who's pretending to live a much better life. And we get deflated and we say, that's it. I'm not, I can't compete. So... That wasn't the case back then, and you know, I always, I always got validation though, because I'd sing something, I'd be in the studio, I'd write something, and everyone, I, I was very lucky. It wasn't because I was always good, because I listen to some of that stuff now, and it wasn't very good. But everyone always said, "Oh, there's something here." You know, I'm not an obvious pop star. I'm not walking around looking like Brad Pitt. I wasn't back then either, and. People just said, oh, there's something here. Whether it was the voice or the writing or whatever it was, you'd have to ask them. But I was very lucky that people encouraged me and that, you know, my first manager got it. He totally got That was Nyron, right? Nyron. Yep. He totally got what I wanted to do and the belief in my sound. And, you know, there's many things we didn't align on, but he really did believe in my creative vision. And so that was more important than what I ate that day. Because, right. because but, it's like but at, that, at that time you had already developed a vision and you kind of 
kind of had the sound in your head and you knew what was going to happen. You just needed the team and management to believe in you. I mean, it was developing. Right. It's like any records of collaboration. Then all of a sudden when I'm going, you know, there's a real kind of Caribbean aspect to what I write. He went, well, remember Erskine used to manage Sly and Robbie. Let's bring them in. And I didn't even, like, I knew Sly and Robbie. I used to work in a record store. So, like, I knew, I used to put Sly and Robbie CDs up on the shelf. But I had no idea growing up in Calgary that, I, you know, the legends I was working with. So, it's all fortuitous. And then the stuff I did with Mush and, you know, the early stuff with Two Play came about from a cover record that we did. Turn Me On. Term, we did the original. I remember. We didn't do the original. Turn Me On was a big record. Little. It was a big Soka record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we did a cover of it when it was kind of an obscure underground Soka record. I remember. And we did a version of it which kind of tore up. It tore up the original. Well, thank you. The, like the production on it. There's yeah. a great story behind that because... Because people thought it was your record. Well, so did I for a bit. Look, look. <laughs> so what, what happened was we recorded Turn Me On and it did really well. Like all the pirate stations it was so in good. London, they were so playing good. it. We were like number one on every chart. So all the labels were all of a sudden interested in this two-play producer featuring it like I, it didn't matter who i was at that point the record was so hot and two play got the credit it was two plays record if I it was two play he was featuring a producer Radov, but it was a two play featuring Radov, right so right? But back then is when it, a lot of this like timbaland featuring right 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 started so we were going to do anything producer smartened up producer smartened <laughs> up and i was able to feature on it and we had like labels were freaking out they're like it this is so a good they're like this is a smash this is a no-brainer this is gonna go uh, turn me on as a song if you ever look at the songwriting credits and i don't even know what it is to this day features uh interpolation from 112 group 112 i didn't even so, the original uh, the original really? so there's a writing credit for 112 or a song from a 112 song or you got to check it out we i'm going to tell the story as correctly as i remember it we couldn't get that cleared because I think it was EMI had to clear it and then they also had Kevin Little. So mm. they said we did all I mean I mean I shouldn't say all because it was already a huge Soka record, huge. but in the UK we did all the groundwork on that record. Oh man. 100%. And then we couldn't get we couldn't get it cleared to do a commercial release. They put out Kevin's version and it was like it was a punch in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely terrible because i thought my big chance we done did it i'm here my vocals sound fresh everybody's freaking out we're gigging off this record no one even yeah. knows who we are yeah and people we are paying us it. like that's what that's how we got onto you they're paying your me like 500 a thousand quid da, 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 da. this is like months away from catch-up time right right and i'm going and i'm doing gigs and i'm singing this and i'm singing it live and people are freaking out they knew the record right they knew our version of it and they signed Kevin in a matter of weeks it was out it was charting and it was that's one time that was low I thought we're done and uh, early early two play Wesley had the foresight to say well let's just go in and take the same vibe and write another song and I kind of very lazily and depressingly wrote so confused didn't did not think it was that good I thought it was too wordy so good I thought it was so too. Good. I thought it was Incredible. too wordy, and I kind of just went in and I did it. And I wrote. I was really lazy when I wrote it. 
really pissed off that I thought this is like such a B song compared to Turn Me mm. On. But we did it and no one wanted to sign it. So, you know, I've been punched again. Why and did no one want to sign it? It was a great song. No one really had the vision for it. There was a, a little independent label called Inferno Records. Okay. That uh, Steve something or another. I should remember the name because I'm pretty sure they owe me a lot of money. But they signed the record and did a, did some interesting partnerships. And I went away to Canada. It was supposed to come out in the summer, and it didn't. And now it's been like five, six months since Turn Me On, and I was really feeling deflated at this point. And then they said, oh, it's coming out in October. And I knew the UK scene. There was always a million records that were out that were pirate. That That's probably October 2003 we're talking about. Yeah. And... Yeah. I knew I just thought this is going to be one of those records that goes out there and does nothing and I'll get a couple of gigs for 150 pound and whatever. And then it came out in October and I remember the week before it came out, I'd been in Canada, I hadn't done any promo for it. I was just in Canada working at my job and a family member called my parents' house and they said, "This song that your son has sung on is going to sell a billion copies." It's playing everywhere. And my mom was like, really? And so I came out week of release and I landed at the airport. I got in the car and within 10 minutes I heard the record. On air. On air. And by the time I got to the hotel, I heard it again. And I was like, it was the best thing ever. And we worked. We went, we sold, a. I think we sold like 40,000 units day one or day two in the UK. Of singles. Like CD singles. Right. That's an incredible number. If that happened today, we'd be... We'd be taking this uh, podcast right now in Trinidad with some mangoes <laughs> on the beach, you know? <laughs> that just doesn't happen anymore. And then it stayed it stayed in the top 10 for six weeks. And I had done a deal at that point with another independent for my more Daisy sounding stuff, uh, Can't Get Enough. Can't Get Enough came in the chart. As a, they said, well, it's let's, a mainstream record. They're like, let's 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 put out this can't let's get enough it. record. Let's ride the next let's, one. Let's do it. And they said, well, can't, so confused should last a week or two. Stayed in the top ten for six weeks, and on the seventh week, can't get enough came into the top ten. So you had two so records in the top ten. I oh, had, oh, back to back, back one to after back, another. Yeah. yeah, I had like it was crazy. So and I, this is, I, I this had two records in the national top twenty. Yeah, just be clear, listener. This is not the the BBC Asian Network top ten. This is the UK pop chart. This is the 10. this is like Robbie R- Williams, R- Elvis Presley, right. Spice Girls, da 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 da. Right. And there was two Ragif records back to back. It was it was mental. What are the girls doing to you at this time? What's Whoa. what's going on with the girls? Uh what happened? <laughs> what was going on with the You know They had to be flocking to you at this point. All I remember is having a hit record. Wow. Yeah. At that time. Okay. You know, then when you get used to having hit records, it's like, oh, you can pay attention to some other stuff. <laughs> okay. But at that time, I was just like, I can't believe this. I'm driving up and down the country, and I would go, baby, you leave me confused. And people were just going mental. I felt like it felt like Beatlemania. It wasn't. Wow. It wasn't, but it felt like it yeah. at the time. It was an incredible feeling, you know, and uh, really emotional because there were a lot of a lot of pride a lot of like subtle middle fingers at people that had doubted me for so long not like from you coming out not knowing how much money i was going to make not knowing how the money was going to come in not knowing anything just the sense of creative accomplishment Mm. hell yeah that's that's a big fuck you to everyone and then 
being able to go in and sit down and make the rest of the record and having and the confidence. This is when we're talking about storyteller now. And having the confidence to go, oh, we're going to pull from Eklar Kiko Deka, we're going to pull from but we're going to pull from all these old Bollywood songs. We're going to write a whole bunch of not Bollywood stuff. We're going to do two jazz records with Bluey from Incognito. We're going to make an album that is an uh, inch deep and a mile wide and it's going to dig deeper when it gets there. And that was Storyteller. So that came from a place of total confidence having four national top tens in a year, one record that came in at 12. And what record was that? Let's Work It Out came in at 12. Okay. Mm. The other four can't be right. The other two play record. Can't be right can't was amazing enough. too. I love that one. They were very similar. Yeah. Like turned me on. So confused. Can't be right. We're all that. And then and then um, Angel Eyes. And the funny thing about Angel Eyes is that uh, everybody thought it was too corny because the the way this all started for me was Bobby Nihal started playing a Teddy Baton, which was the Hindi version of Angel Eyes, which I did first. Right. Absolutely. So I said I want to record an English version of Angel Eyes. Smart. Which ended up being Angel Eyes. Uh, sorry, English version of Teddy Bato, which ended up being Angel Eyes. So Teddy Bato May was first, what, like a year before. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it was getting some love on the Bobby Nihal show, and you know all the shows that were happening at that time, and the message boards and all that. So when the album was getting done, I wrote this English song called Angel Eyes, and I said, you know, this should be the next single. And everyone was like, this is too corny. It's kind of cheesy. It's an old reggae rhythm. It's like kind of novelty. It's not really going to work. And I had a pop sentiment, so I was like really i didn't beg for a lot because i knew these guys all know more than i did but i said we got to put the record out and they put the album out with no intention of ever releasing angel eyes so the album came out in september 2004 and everyone's like bro it's it's cool like it's it's not going to get played it's like Mm. a corny record i had i had like little temper tantrums little canadian temper tantrums (laughs) please please do this (laughs) eventually in february of 05 they succumbed and they said, we'll shoot a video for it. We'll do a release. And it was an explosion. It's the record that changed my life. It, like, you know, it, it, took, it took, particularly India. Like, I just came back from India yes, yesterday, last mm-hmm. night. And I must have gotten called Angel Eyes there a hundred times <laughs> in the last week. <laughs> okay? So, how does I, that feel today? Like, 14 years or 13 years? Today, later? it feels amazing. There was a time in the middle where I went, you know, there's so much more to me. I can't shake than just this. that record. Sure. Not that I can't shake it, but just that like, great. Now let me use that to show you what else I got. Right. But without, without the similar backing of a major label and that I will talk all about all that. Then you kind of go, it's kind of what you get remembered for. And you kind of go, ah, oh, well, that's really great. But I don't want to, I don't want my best time to be that. I got more to do. I don't want to have peaked to 25, you know? Right, right. So... Uh, luckiest, l- lucky, lucky. And in February they put it out, and it came in at number seven. And it came in at number seven, and like, uh, you have to pull it up. Uh, I don't know, but it, they were doing this weird thing where the Elvis and Elvis Presley and the Beatles were re-releasing old records, mm. and they were going number one and number two in the Rolling Stones. And Eminem had a single out, and Beyonce had a single out. Literally, if you pull up the chart, uh, I'm sure four out of those five names are right. And then it's Angel Eyes. So we were competing with like Man. uncompetable records and came in just behind them. And it didn't, it wasn't gone in five, six weeks. That record lasted particularly around the world, Africa, India, over here. It just lasted years. I have, a, I have a question on the, on the business side. 
when you look uh, at a lot of artists that come out of the UK uh, that happen to be brown skin, they their music stays within the Asian charts. Now. It's now. And it's very hard still with the population so large and them being so so integrated into mainstream society there. You, you came out in the pop charts and in the mainstream charts and then worked into the Indian charts. All your records were pop records first. And I mean, everything's very different. Right. So, you know, one thing that I benefited from unknowingly at the time was that because of what was going on with Rishi and myself and Jay and that whole thing that was going on and Punjabi MC had been maybe a couple of years earlier. What, with the Jay-Z thing? Yeah. Okay. So these these folks that are the gatekeepers at the labels who do, some of them are do amazing work, but you'd like to think there's some big complex kind of sort of system of seeding out the best music. And I think they just thought, let's have an Indian moment. Let's really support it. But the danger of that is that it becomes like what the Beatles did with Ravi Shankar. It becomes a fashion accessory that goes out of fashion real quick. Wow. And I think that, you know, if you look at my numbers in terms of the prolificness of that album, four top tens, every record charted, da -da, we could have kept going. There was more, more singles on that album. There's but a lot of records on the album. It was 16 songs, but there was more real singles on there that would have competed with Craig David and such and such. But... Uh, artists that were not of Indian origin at that time uh, had the benefit of being perceived as mainstream artists. And there was something about what was happening in the South Asian world that I think they went, that was really great, really great moment. Th these guys have had their moment. You think like the gatekeepers had that? I think just sort culturally they went, yeah, this is really cool, but it's niche. It's a. Uh, and eventually with Asian Network, I think they went, great, we can support this by it getting played at Asian Network. And uh, not necessarily, and that'll be the way we champion it rather than it being something that could break at mainstream and go there. And, and, and go there, like the way that you described it. So uh, that's just my take on it. That um, it's looked at, it's looked at as though it has a lane already. I don't think can't, if if I release can't get enough today, and it was just as hot, uh, and this they'd say great you're gonna it belongs at Asian Network. I don't think it would have a spot at Radio One or Kiss FM or the mainstream radio stations, unless there was an Indian summer happening again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. So, but to a certain extent, I also understand it. I mean, mainstream radio. You're driving down mainstream radio at, uh, at London, England. Drive time, 5.30, and you're kabhi aare, kabhi paare laga. Like, that's not something non-Indians can necessarily relate to. Right. So they did take a leap on it. And rather than kind of demonize the fact that that didn't last longer, uh, I didn't see that happening in the States. I don't see it happening in Canada. That even, even the moments that we've had have been uh, predominantly pushed by the UK scene. That's a lot of knowledge right there. And it's a really cool perspective because it comes from an artist who broke that. And us thinking it and studying it is a lot different than you telling us your perspective. And I appreciate that. Tell us what happens in India at the time because 
the way I saw it, India accepted you fast and and took you took you in right away. Is that true or we I had no idea what was happening in India. So Angel Eyes had come out. Uh no, I don't know. I don't want to get that wrong. Maybe it was just before Angel Eyes came out or before the album dropped. I can't quite remember, but it, it was in that sort of October of uh, July, August of 04 to February of 05 region. We were invited to do the MTV Style Awards in India. And I'd heard that the song was playing and all that. And when we landed at the airport in Mumbai, no one really told me anything. Wow. No, no and there really was no me. Instagram. There was no Twitter. There I was had no idea. I was like, oh, okay, the record's getting played there, but I'm a star in the UK right now. Right. That felt great. When we landed at the airport in Mumbai, the MTV people were like, you, you know, the record's number one here. You must be really happy. And I'm like, I don't know, what are you talking about? <laughs> wow. Like, There's a chart here? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and then we left the airport, and I got to my hotel, and there was just fans everywhere. And it felt like Beatlemania, India style this time. Right. Amazing. And uh, the, all the artwork on Storyteller, this is a cool story, was shot by a guy named Karan Kapoor. His father was Shashi Kapoor. Wow. So, uh, like, I'm a Bollywood fanatic, and all of a sudden I got Shashi Kapoor's son, who, in his own right, is a world-class photographer, and he knew one of the investors in the independent label I'd signed to at A&R, and he did all the photography. And he called him a couple of times and said, John, uh, John Wright was the name of the guy at the label, and he said, John, you know, all those, the thing we did for that Ragif kid, eh, you don't know it's, what's happening over here in India. You, you know, he's going to be surprised. And he said, oh, Ragif's coming over in a couple of weeks. And he said, John, you don't know. Like, this is, it's, it's like, it's crazy out here. And we went over, we did it. We had no idea the impact. If I'd known, I'd have charged a lot more money for that shit. <laughs> but we what, had no idea. For, we were for the shows? Or? Yeah, right. We were in promo mode that we got to go out there and promote, 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 promote. Indians, we didn't have to do any promotion. <laughs> we were already at the top. Right. We should have been. We should have been taking home bags of money. <laughs> we were out there going, no, we got to put in the grind. Like the Western think of, you got to go in, you got to start time. from the bottom, you got to do that. Right, right, right. Absolutely wrong. We were already but how at the would top. You know, we had no idea. And your how do we know? Because it was had all Western, not- right? Like your whole team was from. No the West. idea. No idea. Working off of UK figures, UK. It took a year to figure it out. And that's a year where. In hindsight, you're saying... Oh, well, hindsight's bullshit, man. Like, right. you, you can't look... You Every artist can look back and say, oh, I should have done this. I should have bought that property. I should have done that. You know, I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky. I've made more than I've lost, but I've lost a bunch. And uh, yeah, you look at that and, you know, you just go, oh, my goodness. That's crazy. So that was really incredible. Because while I felt musically I belonged in the UK and they really made me feel, I just won a Brit Asia Award a couple of weeks ago when I got up and I said, I've never really musically felt like I belong in America or Canada or India. It's right here with you guys in the UK. Culturally, I belonged in India. My happiest times as a human being have been my social existence in India and my family's in Canada. It's been quite complicated. So that was really great for me, you know, and that's when you know you start dating and all of a sudden all these like actresses that i'd like grown up admiring or three months ago a year ago i'm watching their movies while eating mcdonald's based tomato soup (laughs) they're now like what are you doing tomorrow night (laughs) and i'm like 
absolutely nothing. <laughs> so that was that was that was fun. Made some great friends. Hung out with some great folks, and uh, some of them are still friends today, and lots of them aren't. And uh, it was pretty great. They say that the Indian entertainment industry can eat you alive if you're not prepared for it. Did you experience any of that? Well, when you were gigging in India and doing all these high-profile events. We were, never, we were never reliant on the Bollywood scene. And I was never hungry for a gig or doing whatever. Like, I made my music. It did really well. There have been times I've put out records since. I've done well. Some have not done well. It's frustrating. There's a lot of lies out there. You know, when a Bollywood director or someone in that industry says, Raghav, don't worry. That means worry your fucking ass <laughs> off because... Uh, you know, but you don't know that at first. Right. I grew up in Canada, you know, your words, you bond, and things sort of happen the way they happen. And I learned the hard way. I didn't grow up with any of the Indian street smarts that, you know, my friends there had to grow up knowing, reading between the lines. You took things at face value, and uh, oftentimes that meant you got slapped in the face. But, uh, boy, it's it, I, learned, I learned a lot more than if I'd just gone and done a business degree and learned it that way. So, uh, it can, you know, the business side of it, yeah, there's things that piss me off. There were things that were mismanaged. There were mistakes that were made, whatever. That's every, every single artist ever. You have the stories like that. What did piss me off a lot was that everyone copied the sound. All of a sudden, Kabhi Arpar was like in three other songs at the same time. And in one of them, if you pull the video up, I'll show you later, in one of them, Iceberg Slim's on the original track with me. Mm -hmm. In one of them, they even had like a guy, they just found a skinny Indian guy to wear his hat backwards and pretend to be Iceberg Slim. Wow. Like they, co they copied it to the point, they made a caricature of what we were doing, which was an original R&B record with a Desi beat that was mainstream R&B that paid homage to the original sample from this amazing 1950s Bollywood film really detailing the NRI experience in music. And they just decided, oh, it's catchy, we'll copy it. And, you know, my, my friend Mira Sayal says, you can't get frustrated because in India, the word copyright means they have the right to copy your shit. Bars. That's and a fact. I guess you got to take it as... That was really, value. that was really horrifically frustrating. And that remained frustrating for a long time because... I would then send subsequent demos of ideas I had that were original. And before I could get the samples cleared, those ideas are blatantly in a movie yep. making millions of dollars for somebody else. That really disheartened me. I just thought, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to sample records. I'm not going to give these guys these ideas. These are the companies that you need the approval of to do your business legitimately. Right. And the they're, they're robbing you while you're trying to give them a check. Right. You're giving them a check on one end and they're robbing you from behind in the other. It's like completely unjust. Well, yeah, that was my question, like on the whole Bollywood and working in India scene. Like there's just so many parts of it that are backwards and so frustrating that I've talked to so many artists from the West that are like, we went out there and the way we're raised, where our word is our bond, it just, it just doesn't work or you got to be really, really... You got to have the right team around you that really gets it or, or be in line with those guys to make it work for you. There's no, there's nobody that can protect you from violent dishonesty. Nobody's going to be able to tell you how to avoid just someone lying to your face and screwing you over. 
So you just kind of get used to it. And then there was a period of time where I was really angry about it. I remember taking meetings in India being like, or anywhere just being like, uh, everyone's full of shit. So it does jade you up a bit. But... Um, do, 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 do you think that like the way the brown or the South Asian community was having their moment in that era where you first popped off in the UK, did it almost feel like, all right, now the Western South Asians are having their moment here, they're going to rinse us and then continue on with the Indian style of doing entertainment? And I think that it was a real alarm bell for the Bollywood community to go, we're spending bags of money on these stars and these films and we're doing all this. And these guys are coming over from Canada and the UK and they're getting equal time. And they spend um, a hundredth of what we spent in advertising and in music video production. That's not how it's going to run. And so the subsequent years after 2006, uh, MTV became an all Bollywood station. So you could... It could be a record with Michael Jackson featuring Prince and Tupac. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't playing anything. Man. It would. It would be Bollywood only. So what happened was, is the platform. It's not like the music went away. It's not like I stopped having great ideas. The platform was annihilated. It was Bollywood only. Do you want to come be a p- playback singer, or do you want to be a pop star? They shunned want? pop. They sh- the, the pop was gone. So labels had like labels still tried and they signed stuff and it would get played on VH1 and you do the tour and it was fine like it is what it is but that moment of like yo we can we can throw a gut punch musically into society and create something that's going to be really culturally shifting there was no chance of that and if they got wind that was like your whole sound was to shift the culture that was my whole career right so then it was like okay what are you going to do well. Do you want to come to the States and have a pop hit? Do you want to stay in the UK? And do you want to go to Dubai and just put out records and get paid obscene amounts of money for shows? Do you want to, you know, what do you want to do? So I put out another album called Identity, which had two songs that had samples in it, but a lot of Hindi stuff. Did really well in India, did really well in Dubai, didn't do much anywhere else. My Kind of Girl with Red Man, you know, did, did pretty well in the UK. But, like, this was now the beginning of, like, independent distribution, you know, getting a record iTunes. Out. We, I had no idea how to do that. And my manager at the time was figuring it out with me. It was like, we got a lot of stuff wrong, but it was nobody's fault. It was like... And was Niren still managing at the time? So, no, Niren stopped managing me before, before that album. Can we did... Is, is any particular reason why, or just... Uh, yeah, a lot of reasons why, but... Uh, not anything that would make me lose respect for the amount of belief he had in me. That's and, amazing. It's an amazing perspective. So that's great. But uh, look, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody falters. I'm sure I did. I'm sure he did. But, you know, we still talk today. And there's never, uh, as far as I know, there's never any ill or anything like that. I got a lot of love for him. If it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here today. But... Um, that's that's really humble statement. Um, you said and you said it earlier too that no one could do anything with the team around them, um, management, producers, fans. Where do they sit in your existence? I mean, producers are. Uh, I don't produce. 
So I got all these great ideas and I'm making it sound like they're all mine, but I need someone to put them, you know, put them down to fruition. But uh, so producers matter a whole, whole ton. Obviously fans are number one because uh, they, whatever stage and platform you're given, they're going to react to it. And even if someone gives you no stage, uh, if the fans react enough, you're always going to be relevant. And, and I was, I've, I've, I've been lucky and I've been un unlucky. You know, the business side of it really got JD at this point. I could see people were making a lot of money off of lying to me. Um, and I don't That's mean my, it. I don't mean my management team or anything like that. Right. I mean like promoters and, you know, we did, we did a couple, we did a tour here with a guy who was like a total scumbag. Here in the States? Yeah. We did like a 16 city tour, never got paid for it properly, put a lot of trust in people. So you start to become like, luckily I was doing okay, but you get jaded. You're like, Hey, there's nobody nice here. You know, I've, we've made music. We've done this. Everyone's, everyone's doing their own thing and, and sometimes in a dishonest way, but uh then that would have been all fine but then having to all of a sudden be label-less like sold a million albums didn't have a label on the first record sold a million Story albums Storyteller did a million sold dollars. a million albums so you're a platinum artist at that point six times platinum six times wow. platinum sold a million albums and we didn't have a label for the second album and you tell me how that works <laughs> i don't know i'm trying to ask <laughs> okay, you my man like that sounds fucked up crazy. so had a fan base selling out <laughs> stadiums and auditoriums and all that it's because they were like, collectively, this Indian thing's over. And, you know, uh, Jay was really smart. He came to the States. He really hunkered down here. He had the big hit a few years later with Lil Wayne. Down? And, down, down. you know, but my heart wasn't in that. My heart was, I don't want to go do that. I think it's really amazing, and he's opening some great doors. I want to make my music. I want to make the hallway of my home sound. Right. Interesting, because uh, it's interesting you brought that up. Um, you know, the two guys we looked at in our early days was you and Jay Sean. And early in the careers, there was a lot of comparison between the two artists. And we were doing the tours here. Anytime it was a New York date of an artist coming, we were the ones putting the parties on. Had Raghav, sell out, packed house. Have Jay sell out, packed house. All of a sudden, it gets a little quiet for you and we see this other dude do a, West, a Western deal and pop the fuck off over here making mainstream music and then at some point almost getting chewed up and spit out by mainstream here. Mm -hmm. And... You guys were both our heroes. There was, you guys were the, the the culture creators. You guys developed a sound that the girls would go crazy for. The parties would get packed, and these are timeless records that were made. And all of a sudden, oh eight, oh nine, it's fucking quiet. And not only do we see the the slowdown of the careers, but we see the entire scene just fizzle, fucking die. Oh no no it was it was like dead like you know, where this, the this fuck is a if terrible the analogy I hope it's not offensive but it was like Hiroshima no. it was like completely annihilated yeah, well, I mean we felt it there we were the ones controlling it in New York completely there was no scene in you know we were talking off air about Jay Gatsby who was a great friend of mine and Jay was like championing this like champion it, like a motherfucker like it was gonna be whatever yeah. 
it, it just it just not, nothing happened with it and you know obviously a lot of what was happening in in, in india had to do with that but um it was like the moment was over forever, for real. Everyone, you know, and this is the thing. I don't want to speak again about what's in the heart of others. But everyone kept saying, well, uh, you know, you better hope there's nobody else that comes along that takes your throne and puts out another record. I'm going, oh, my God. Like, I had real foresight back then. I got to give myself that credit. I was like, I hope there is somebody else. Because two artists can't run a scene. And when one artist has decided to do something that is no longer steeped in that culture and is sort of culturally ambiguous minded, very successful. Um, I kind of felt like I was left trying to fly the flag on my own mm. of the Indian thing. Wow. And that was hard. Like when I came back, when I came back to Canada, the first record, you know, eventually I did go back to Canada. My mom had a heart attack in 2010 and I thought, okay, maybe, Maybe that's a sign that I really need to be home more. I can base myself out of Canada and I can do this American thing and maybe I'll make more commercial records at this point because every, anything that sounded Indian, no one was interested. Nobody gave a rats about it. So then you start going, well, do I want a career or do I want to be sanctimonious in my belief of the records that I want to make? So I started working with Labyrinth. We made so much. It was a huge critical hit in Canada. Got nominated for a Juno did okay in the charts it was like it was a hit but it wasn't like a and it, it wasn't catalyst for touring and oh it was show. yeah it was a catalyst for touring Canada. but it wasn't uh, everywhere so much did did okay everywhere but it wasn't like it wasn't a monster so then i kind of went okay i'm gonna put aside any daisiness to the music and i'm gonna write a straight pop record to use it as a launching pad to be able to hopefully get back to making the music that really is in my soul. And I justified that by saying Storyteller was so confused, had nothing Indian in it. And that's true. I said, mm. I can do whatever I want to do. And so I wrote a song called Fire, which was like... Such a good record. Huge, huge hit in Canada. Huge, yeah. that, was the, you know, that was with Ultra? That was on my own with a label called Cordova and Independent. Cordova, okay. Out of Victoria. It was a great record, man. I championed that record here hard. Yeah. And the record was like, again... It's very bizarre because now I'm having another moment in Canada that was really mirroring the so confused time in the UK because Canada didn't know who I was. Oh, it did it like that over there? Oh, it was a huge record. Wow. Yeah, phenomenal. I didn't even know. Now, there's not as big a scene. It was a pop record. Right. It's not like undergrounds and all that kind of stuff going on in Canada in the pop world, but it was it was a massive record. You know, went, went gold almost immediately. And then the US labels were really interested in that. And then... You know, I'm sure intrinsically they thought if we can do with fire what happened with Down or Tayo Cruz or any of this other stuff that's come over from the UK, maybe right. there's maybe there's something there. In fact, one of the labels that really wanted to sign fire at first was Cash Money. Oh, interesting. But it, it ended up at Ultra, and I think Ultra got it just in time for EDM to be the biggest thing in the world. And they started saying, we're not going to really invest in our pop catalog. So it signed over a few blocks from here at the Ultra Building. And it, they did nothing with it internationally. And when I mean like this was a through-the-roof testing record in Canada, absolutely through the roof, you know. And so I wrote this record that I liked but I didn't love but was a huge hit. And th then, I, th then I started feeling a little deflated. I'm making music 
that I like, I'm really proud of. It's a lot of fun. It keeps the club gigs going, but you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel like my sound. I felt like fire could be anybody. And like super pop commercial, just like great pop song. Not a lot of soul in it, but could it have been Ad, it could have been Adam Levine. It could have been anybody. Could have been. Uh, but been I, I did feel the record had it came from the soul. Like when you, well, yeah, I mean, I wrote the it. Content, the lyrics, like it made it's my it writing. It was a motivational record. It's my writing, but you know what I'm trying to say. It wasn't like a cultural moment. Absolutely, and that's not. what I've always wanted to have. So, right. um, that was a really difficult time. Going, what am I? Am I gonna? make Canadian hits for radio and I did stuff over the next few years very unprolifically put out maybe a single every six months or a year so no strategy just like do it when you do it type well shit. the thing is music was disposable at this point yeah, fire right. lasted for 40 weeks but the average record was lasting three four at radio so I'm here going okay I'm, I'm the UK is other than the Asian network who've always been wonderful to me is basically telling me yeah the Indian thing's not really in right now uh so I had an American deal on a huge record that didn't go anywhere, but I made a lot of money on. Um, was that the Abhishek record? Or? No, that was Fire. Okay. And then, you know, in Canada, I was having some real radio success. And it was keeping my head above water in terms of having a career still. And India thinks I died at this point. They're like, what happened to Raga? What's going on? They didn't, I don't even think they know about Fire. And I'm still touring. I'm still touring. So... That was a time where I really went, what do I want to do? What am I going to do? And those years are kind of a blur of... For all of us. <laughs> I think for all of us, like the, anyone who's been in it and still in it, it's like, what happened between 2009 and 2013? Like, Yeah, it's, for me, it's more like what happened between 12 and 16. Right, and, right. And they're a blur of uh, realizing... Uh, this is now going to transition into something different. I don't know what it is. Uh, working with A.R. Rahman, which was a amazing experience for me. That you know, th those two years, 11, 12, 13, working with him. Tell I us about I that because I, I didn't know care anything about, about that. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't did. Know a, about I did a that. film with him called Jab Tak Hejan. Okay. Where I was the voice for Shah Rukh Khan. It was a Yash Chopra film. Uh, a week before the movie came out, Yash Chopra. How did that then. even come about? I was in Bombay. He heard. He called me. I thought it was someone playing a joke on me. I hung up the phone. They called me again. I said some choice words to A.R. Rahman. Wow. Don't call me. It's the 1 o'clock in the morning. You thought it's going to go to bed. Bullshit. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Wow. I get another call. They're like, you're about to talk to A.R. Rahman. You please do not hang up this time. I went to the studio, hung out wow. with him. Wow. <laughs> Did you know him? Personally? Like, yeah, prior to that. Uh, no, but if if someone had told me in the middle of Angel Eyes, you need to stop now and just go for the next 10 years and make coffee for A.R. Rahman, I'd have been like, cool, we done did it. So wow. this was That's amazing. Interesting. Recorded Ishq Shava that night, which was a huge hit in India. I mean, it, it's like one of those things, though. It's like as an artist, you go, it's a great song, but it, I mean, Shah Rukh Khan, it feels like someone could fart on a record and it'd be a huge hit if he was out there, you know, in <laughs> right. the movie. So... um that was huge. And those two years, then we, I worked on a really cool project, which took a year of my life that never came to fruition. Wow. Uh, with AR and a guy named Steven Schwartz who wrote a musical called Wicked. Okay. And that's called Monkeys of Mumbai. And it was going to be huge. DreamWorks had it. I was involved in like demoing stuff and the character and possibly voicing the lead role. And it was like, it was going to be massive. And then 
they had a management shift at DreamWorks and that didn't happen. So like there was all these things that were like, oh, this is great, this is great. Did some work with Afrojack then in the middle of the EDM thing. We did a record together called Take Me Away, which did, did okay in Canada. I didn't even know about that record. Right, right. So there's a lot of this. Right. There's a lot of like, wow. So I did this thing with Afrojack, but like it's it was, like. It's kind of like not, it feels like different worlds yeah. and different markets. And it's a blur. It'll be a part of my career. With, there was a really beautiful song I did called Love. Okay. which is maybe one of the favorite songs I've ever recorded. Did that with Jim Beans. That was actually supposed to be a Michael Jackson single. Jim Beans and you had some history as well, correct? We did Fire Together. Yeah. Okay. So then we did Love. That was a song that was supposed to be a Michael Jackson single. Mike passed away. So there was a lot of like close calls of things that were going on at this time. And it's funny how like three projects turns into four years. And then it was, it was a real moment of reckoning. Then I found out I'm having a baby. Were you so, married? You say you're married. So yeah, yeah. I'm 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 very lucky. I got a beautiful family. Um but uh found out we were having a baby uh before we got married. And uh it was like, uh oh, this wasn't really planned. But life does what it does and I was excited to be a father, but it was a real moment of reckoning of like, what do I want to do? Do I wanna keep you know, do I wanna keep gigging off records from the past, which is amazing pays the bills but leaves me feeling culturally like i'm eating ketchup tomato soup mm. or do i want to really take some time and get it right so uh Rhea was born in april of 2016 and congrats man thank you that Excuse was amazing you. congratulations that was amazing because you know it didn't happen traditionally like got married planned it bought the house let's have a baby it was like chaos. Still trying to have hits, <laughs> touring the world. Da, 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 da. Tough, man. Did the record with Abhishek and Nelly. I was In that time, right? Yeah, we were promoting it. I remember. I to want to talk about that a little we, bit. When we decided to get a little amorous, and then, right. then you know, we were pr promoting that record. That was the most rewarding thing I've done in my career. That, that record? That record. We'll talk about Not that. Not because of the song, because of the video and all and, the and stuff. The, and the, 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 the Africa. Yeah, Solar right. Lights. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. So that's the most rewarding thing I've done in my career is that. Right. A lot of people don't know that story because I don't think it was told properly in this country. So we'll tell that story. Okay. And um, I want to talk about Rhea for a little bit. Oh, so that, that just changed everything. And, and then I'm carrying her and we're going to different cities and people are like, hey, Angel Eyes, what's going on? Da, da, da. And I remember, you know, you know, you tell your kid, you have a kid, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to support you, whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want. And I remember feeling inherently fraudulent saying that to my daughter because here I was kind of going, you can do whatever you want, but you can't stick to your original sound rag if because it's not going to be welcomed. Like starting to bend the rules about can you really do whatever you want or do you got to do things to stay in the game? And I had a real moment of reckoning of like, I need to settle things down, uh, purge myself of all what I've known to date, all the negative stuff, all, even all the good stuff, and go, I'm going to open up chapter two. I'm going to open up chapter two. It's not going to be the same as chapter one. It could end up being a lot better. It could end up being nowhere near as good. Um, and uh, that happened. I, I suffered a concussion last year, which was the worst physical thing I've gone through you know, until last week. I haven't been able to go to the gym, couldn't lift my daughter for six months. So then all of a sudden I was started dealing with a health issue 
and you know it's like oh i'm putting on some weight and it's like oh how am i gonna get uh, how am i gonna do all this and so the last two years were really like oh what am i gonna do uh, okay i'm gonna put a record out then you have this concussion all of a sudden with the concussion i couldn't do club shows anymore because it just sent my head for a loop because of the the loudness of the sound the lights so one good thing that came from it is i had to spend a lot of time thinking i had to do a lot of songwriting just me and the piano or the guitar soul searching soul music searching i had mm. to write great records again it wasn't about what's the beacon of sound like is it club worthy is it going to fit in with what's a radio i just got to write some really great songs you know i was writing stay with me kind of records just really great songs so i was able to finally take the time to build up a canon of material that started to make sense rather than uh, making records that I thought could be hits. So best thing, that, best and worst thing that happened to me was that concussion because it really allowed me to do that. And, and that's kind of how we got to where we are today. And now I feel really confident about the next batch of records and very... Ooh, I'm hyped, <laughs> so you know. And very lucky that uh, that platform, that stage, that it's sort of been closed up by Bollywood has now been reopened by the likes of Sabin. Shout that, out to Sabin. That they're in the game now going, okay, uh, if you're good and it's credible and it can work, let's see what it can do. And so with the latest single with Myra, we're seeing numbers that quite organically are through the roof. You know, one thing that's happening in India now is everyone's paying for YouTube oh, it's the worst. Yeah. And streams and oh I got five million video it's the views worst. Today. It doesn't even count anymore. It's just it's so, so bullshit. Yeah. It's tacky. So yeah. it's but it, but it, it's almost like if you're there and you want to compete there, then you got to play that game it's that or don't strategy, yeah. or don't and just do what you or, do or or you zig while everyone's zagging and you put your Bars. you put your argument out there with your record and you let people see the truth. We have become we've become a society of how good is a record? Let me see how many followers they have on Instagram. Da, 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 da. I am not going to be a dinosaur. All that stuff is really important. I begrudgingly take selfies and post them and do all that I stuff. I see you out here on the gram. <laughs> oh, fuck. I see you on the gram. But my music, I'm not going to chase to fit in. My music Love is it. going to stand out. It's going to be special and it's going to be, it's going to make you feel something. That's really really important to me and it's not going to be defined by what needs to come next uh, in terms of the image or the story it's just going to be that's what my my there's nothing out there on the market right now like myra it's a great record it's got no drums except for one snare in the chorus right. which i put in begrudgingly because everyone said you have to put drums in it so i was like fuck you here's one snare it's, in the it's, chorus. It's, i was wondering um and now i understand a little bit more but you know for the Raga, the original Raga fan base, which still exists, and along with probably all the new fans that are coming off the new music, I was almost wondering, like, like I was waiting, waiting, waiting for this record. I knew it was coming, and it wasn't a club or a dance record. And I was taken back on my first hear of it, uh, not for the, the, the content, but for the fact that it wasn't a dance record or a poppy sort of R&B-ish record of sorts. Um, but I think understanding your whole journey helps me understand your sound, the sound, yeah. and, and why that's first. If every Justin Bieber record 
was Despacito or right. I what do it. you mean? It's like, right. okay, I get it. The moment that the time that I really perked up to Bieber was Love Yourself. I was like, oh. It's a good record. I, I love that there's record. a billion I could listen to that all day long. And Sheeran wrote it. Mm-hmm. It's just a great, great song. He's talking about his ex in the record. Right? He's being very mean to her. Yeah. 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 And I thought that I need to have that moment <laughs> in Hindi. Yeah. You know? But everyone's expecting this and I'm gonna zig. And especially right now, you know, I've never done the Punjabi thing. Everyone always says, Rakhav, you should do a Punjabi song. It would be like, uh, I'm not saying never, but it would be entirely disingenuous for me to do it just because Guru's doing it or someone else is doing it. And it would go against the fabric of my artistry and why I made music in the first place. So I said, we're going to pull out, put out a predominantly drumless uh, soul record that's still pop. And the thing about Myra is like, Angel Eyes is dum dum pum 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 but it's a four bar loop there's nothing else beyond that mm-hmm. and in Myra I said I want a four bar loop that allows me to write some great melodies allows me to sing but it's going to be in Hindi but I want it to be steeped in the Caribbean thing so the guitar lick is dun, 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 dun. so it's like again like almost like a reggae skank and I'm doing some Hindi stuff over it so as much as it's totally different from the past if you read the comments people go this is recognizably him Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 1000%. So that was really important to me. I think we, I, I feel proud that we hit the nail on the head with that one. I like that you said read the comments too. You read the comments? I have on this record because they're all good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, you know, like when I put this out, I was like, whoever hears it, whether it's one person or We're one happy. billion people, they're going to like it. And it might take a couple of listens. Because it's not a, it's not fire, right? It's not diggity, it's not a ditty, right? It's a song. Interesting. So as we're listening to the Butter Chicken podcast, don't forget you could catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and of course SoundCloud. Uh, but now in India as well on Hub Hopper, absolutely, they've embraced us. And like I always say, they're blue checks, so you know they're legit. <laughs> um, Raghav, you mentioned earlier that one of the proudest moments of your professional career was the release of a record that sort of helped millions of people in Africa. Oh, I don't know about millions of people. Or hundreds of thousands, if you will. I don't know about that either, but it definitely helped help me. Okay. And we really did some cool stuff for one school in Tanzania. So I wrote this pop song with a guy named Ryan Stewart, who uh, he's in Vancouver, and he's, he's a pretty cool dude. He's not a cool dude. That's a terrible way to describe Ryan. He's a he's a very good musician. He's not really. Yeah, he's a cool dude, I guess. Musicians are automatically cool. Even yeah. <laughs> Ryan, I don't know. <laughs> he's a great guy, though. And so we wrote this song that's kind of like this country pop ditty called Until the Sun Comes Up. And this is now in my hit chasing days, you know, trying to have a real. This Canadian. is what, about 13, 14? No, this is like 15. Okay. And uh, so I wrote it. And then I thought it needs a feature on it. And because it had that country pop thing, I immediately thought of Nelly, who featured on the record, did a great job. Did you have a relationship with Nelly or was it like? None at all. I was like literally like my lawyer, uh, my lawyer, his his manager is uh, Julie, Dr. J, basketball player's Ju- son. Okay. okay. Yeah. And my lawyer 
somehow his dad worked with the 76ers. It's like it was like a crazy thing anyways. So it came about us. that I was like, yo, I want to do this record with Nelly. Nelly's like, cool, I'll jump on it. It was a business transaction. And Nelly wasn't scorching at the time either. So like he wasn't hot at all. What do you mean either? Like you weren't scorching. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Like you weren't hot at the time. Like on fire the way you were when the records were out, like one after another. So you're both like at later levels in your career, which weren't I peaking. Don't like, I don't like the term later levels. No, okay, not peaking levels. Fair enough. Okay. So um, it's funny because I think subsequent to that, Nelly's probably had the biggest hit of his life with Florida Georgia Line. I could you know, see that. So it can happen at any time. Right. Right. Uh, but uh, the Windows Down song or whatever that is. Yeah. But so he he's on the record and it fit because it had this kind of country. Like it had to fit creatively. Right. Had this kind of country pop thing going on. And then in my travels to Bombay every now and then, the one guy who I've always had respect for as an artist loves hip hop, um, knows, uh, knows as much about hip hop as like any hip hop head, but also like, just loves to entertain kind of in a Will Smith kind of way. Like just loves to be an entertaining guy is Abhishek Bachchan. And I grew up like if there's two artists that changed my life, it's Michael Jackson and Amitabh Bachchan. You know, my whole career is like one bad Michael Jackson, Amitabh Bachchan, you know, like copy. But um, so Abhishek's obviously someone I've tracked and followed and respected. And so I said to him, I want to do this track with Nelly. And he's like, oh, my gosh, like. The very first gift I think he said or that his wife gave him, that Ashwarya Rai gave him, was a signed microphone from Nelly. He's a huge Nelly fan. Wow. Wow. So uh Go he figure. Was, he was like, let's do it. So I went out, recorded his verse in Bombay. And then we had this now, you had a was that a business transaction as well, or was that like a personal relationship? That was like how organic that was, was that artistic transaction. Okay. That was done for the art of it. That's amazing. So and then again beyond that i said look like it's not going to be a booty video we're not going to be in the club doing any of that all i want is you to say the script uh, at the beginning of the video and he did and <clears throat> the concept was that i was going to go to uh, africa and we were going to find uh, where a school that had little to no electricity and I'm a big believer in clean energy and I was going to find some solar lights and we were going to give those solar lights to those kids and we were going to make it without making it exploitative. I'm in Africa, you know, oh, look at what we're doing for Africa. Right, like kids. not a marketing play, but more of a play just from the heart. More about the songs called Until the Sun Comes Up and literally that is like uh, these folks, can you believe in this day and age on this planet... 30% of people don't have clean water and electricity. It's crazy. So uh, solar solves all that. And so I partnered up with this group called SolarAid. They have these great little solar lights that act as both phone chargers and electricity provider and lights. And we found a school that was in dire need of these solar lights. We went there. We filmed it. We filmed that when the sun came down, maybe for the first time in these kids' lives, they were able to still study, still work, still function, still help their families because they have light now. And uh, Abhishek was like, that's amazing. I want to do it. And so we did that project together. And the record did okay in Canada. We just kind of released it in Canada and in India. I think it went 
That was like a label thing or just independent or? Totally independent. Okay. Signed to Times in India. I think it went number one pop chart in India. Okay. Came off the chart. Things roll so quickly. Right. <coughs> um, and did did fairly well in Canada. Beyond that, it was just kind of out there. But the concept was incredible. You know, and then when. Was that all like that concept was just your brainchild of you? Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Rhea's mom. Uh, her and her family have dedicated their lives to helping people. You know, when you're dating someone or you're married or you're with somebody, you start to learn a lot of great things that they do. And uh, although I've always leaned left in terms of wanting to politically and wanting to help folks and understanding, having a greater understanding of empathy and wanting to help people, um, uh, they put it into action. And I thought I could do that with my music. I don't need another booty video on this one. And we got the budget to do it. And we're going we're gonna to spend it on something that will leave, that correctly, will leave a longer legacy than the record will. Clearly. So we did it. Clearly. And that school still popping, still got lights. I haven't, I haven't checked in in a while, but they have those solar lights. We want to go back again uh next year and try and do some more it's really politically difficult out there because uh some of these villages are protected you know kerosene's an awful thing the way that uh, they light the, is through kerosene it's a it's a it's a shitty drug <clears throat> and so anytime there's bad folks that want to make sure that solar doesn't take off there because um, it's in their interest to control people so it's it can be sometimes a dangerous thing to be messing with with those guys but we didn't encounter that but uh, you know there's more we'd like to do had a big family event uh monumental family event in the family and you know people come and they give you gifts and i never understand that we were talking off air about weddings i think they're you know marriage i understand weddings are kind of weird it's like very so let's celebrate me. So some of those gifts went towards doing the same thing in India in a very much less publicized way. So it's something I really, really do believe in. Beyond that, definitely not thousands or millions of lives that have been affected, but hopefully, uh, hopefully the principle of understanding empathy, these problems still exist, carry on. But I don't know. I'm, I'm also cynical about what people take in and how quickly they take it in and dispose of it. So I don't know. But it was rewarding for me to do it, and uh, I'd like to be in a position where I could do more of it. Incredible. I really respect the fact that, uh, you know, it, it, you stay true to who you are as an artist uh, w with your music and, and everything you put together in terms of your lyrics and songwriting abilities, um, and now also taking it, you know, a step further and making impact on actual people and children and, and, and the youth and, and changing people li changing people's lives and green energy and things like that. So I want to say thank you for that. I think that's incredible. Uh, you're definitely one of my favorite South Asian artists uh, personally, and I know a lot of our listeners here as well. Um, what's next for you, Raghav? Well, I, I really have felt like, especially in the last six months coming off of being a dad and uh, sort of recovering from this this concussion and putting out Myra that I feel like finally, honestly, without any bullshit, I feel like I've entered into chapter two of my career. 
And I think a lot of that's still going to be celebrating chapter one. But I look at it like I'd like to be, I'd like to sell out stadiums again one day. And I want the first half to be my club hits and the second half to be me and a piano and a guitar singing a, lots of my Hindi records and giving a soul performance, you know. And I'd like it to, to be an emotional roller coaster. And that, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to put out another club record. Sure. I got a record with Steel Bangles that's hot. Um, Steel Bangles popping. He's dope. He's Fire. really I'm glad, dope. Glad to hear that. Since the first album I've done, he's probably the only producer that's really understood how I want to fuse it culturally. Mm -hmm. He uh, gets it. He gets it. So that's going to come. But uh, I'm just really excited to... I'm excited to finally feel like I'm going to get to make the music I want to make for the right reason and that these records coming up in the next year or two are going to be ones that hopefully people look upon as legacy records for me. Incredible. You mentioned uh, selling out stadiums. Is there any uh, specific city or place that you've performed that like stands out to you in your mind in your career? Um, I think the first time I went back to Calgary. Okay. You know, like there was like 9,000 people there. And we were doing a tour with Adnan Sami. And like that was pretty incredible to see, to be back there. Um, every time I'm in India, it's a trip, you know. I never changed my name. So one thing really early on was there was a lot of pressure that uh, this is, even even amongst Indian names, I got a complicated one. <laughs> You know, it's not like Gaurav or Sanjay or it's like Raghav. It's like, yikes. And I never changed it. And the pride I get on behalf of my parents that I never changed it to my detriment, by the way, because, you know, a lot of American labels have said that is just too hard a name to pronounce. You're going to be subject to uh, racism. Yeah. And you're going to be subject to being too different. And I was like. Akon, pick something catchy and go with it. And I always kept my name. I kept it in the beginning. I thought it would be fraudulent to change it in the middle, though there was a lot of uh, juicy reasons for me to change it in the middle. Um, so when I go back to India and they chant my name or they'll, you know, I'm on stage or they'll say, hey, you know, the crowd's chanting my name or something. I feel a lot of pride that um, my parents gave me this name and now people are saying it back to me. I feel like it's like, uh, it's like a gift to them. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Really amazing. A lot of artists came after, um, and in the last five years, we've seen an emergence of South Asian talent, kids that are like a decade younger than us and even under. I'm, every day I'm getting an email from a new 18-year-old R&B artist who happens to be South Asian or a singer or a rapper. And... Uh, you know, they ask us for support on their records, and I always say, well, send me the music. Um, are you looking at any of the youth right now and saying, wow, like, these guys are doing some dope shit? And if so, like, who are some of the guys that you keep your eyes on? Uh, vocally. Uh, vocally. Act. Sid Ram is incredible. Okay. He's an incredible, incredible singer. And because he's got that Carnatic kind of vibe, you know, his music is less pop than music that I would listen to. Right. So but I have a ton of respect for him. I think he's really dope. I like Raja Kamari a lot. Oh, she's I think, amazing. I think, she's, I think she's very talented. She got she got a new one on the way. 
She's a whole new project. Uh, she's about to pop off. So that's cool. Yeah, I like uh, her. I, uh, my heart and my mind right now are with Arjun a lot. Oh mm. my God, uh, rest in peace to Natasha. Tragic. So, I like Arjun as a human being. I really feel he's like, you know, he's been like a little brother when we've hung out in the sense that like I don't hold back with my criticism. And I'm able to tell him what I like and what I don't like. And and you can dish it to him and he can gracefully accept it, I'm imagining. Yeah, I don't know how gracefully he accepts it. But he's <laughs> like, oh, jeez, Ragif just laid into me. <laughs> but it's because I care. And I really think that, you know, uh, he has an opportunity to do some special and great things. And, you know, we're going to, you know, as I discovered in a much less horrific way than he's just discovered, life is going to change his art and who he is. And so we'll see what road that takes for him. But I hope it's a it's a successful one that's filled with lots of healing. Um, I think Zach's a great singer. Uh, I, I don't like disposable music. I don't like it. I've made it myself. I don't like it. We're in a time now where there's no need to make it. Um, so I want artists that are doing things that are cool. I have to believe it. Sometimes I find... There's very few records I really believe, but I go, oh yeah, that that works. That doesn't feel like it was put together or contrived. Like that feels natural. So I'm still waiting to hear somebody do that in a way that I go, yeah, I, I feel that. But maybe that's the snob in me, or maybe that's just me, just being an artist saying, oh, if it's not done my way, I don't like it. So. I'd like to hear something really authentic and great come out that I get. But those are all artists that I think are very talented and could do it. Who do you look at in the mainstream for uh, for uh, just looking for their music? Or are you, are you listening to any anything from the American side or the R&B side or the pop side here? Uh, lots. I mean... A billion different things. Uh, so you're you're on the pulse. You have your ears ears to the street. And yeah, I mean, I love songs. So, Sheeran as a writer, incredible. Like numero uno, my yeah, opinion. Sick. Uh, I love that. Like, it's so funny because for a while, nah, this might be incorrect. You know, uh, I thought you know Adam Levine could write songs like Ed Sheeran. And he made, Adam Levine makes some great pop records, but I feel like he's also he's doing maybe what the rest of us did. That's one of great big pop hit every month, two months, you know. <laughs> he got a ton of respect for it because he puts out great pop songs. But Sheeran makes me feel something, you know. Oh, yeah. And then beyond him, again, I have a dog in this fight in terms of this is someone that I champion. But Labyrinth is incredible. Maybe top three musician on the planet. Privileged I got to work with him. Everything he does is art, yet somehow still commercially viable. Um He's maybe he's maybe one of the most talented guys in the world right now. Last question before we let you go back to uh, the hotel and do what you got to do and relax. But uh, you know, we said earlier a lot of our listenership is eighteen and under. That's the majority of the kids that listen to what we put out. You could have told me that before I swore on the podcast. All right, uh, everyone swears. It's all good. It's just, we could we could edit them out if you want. But um, you know. That listener is so important to us, and, and to me, it's especially important. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a two-year-old, and, you know, 
a lot of the stuff I do is with the intention that at some point they're going to look at daddy and, and look at my legacy. Right. And uh, you mentioned, and you touched on that as well. But if there is a message that you could give to the youth that's out there, that's listening, boys, girls, uh, South Asian, non-South Asian, there's some, some sort of last few words you could leave them with as you depart today. What would that be? Uh, I mean, the art is, is truly, it's not in the chart. It's absolutely in your heart. And you want to make sure you are being innovative. You're creating something that is going to stand the test of time, even if it's pop. You know, even if it's like bubblegum, bubblegum pop. You want to make something that 15 years from now, 20 years from now, people say it made them feel something. So make sure you're creating, make sure you're not writing a, just writing a song or producing a record, that you're creating something that will be a timestamp of a moment in your life and your career. And eventually, if you nail that, it may turn out to be a timestamp in the life of others. And then you get to have a legendary moment and that is art completely respect that and uh, I love I love ending like that uh, Raghav is there anything else you, you want to leave off with anything you want to talk about new projects new music's out there I hope everyone loves the single there's going to be lots more stuff I just hope people dig it and they give it a shot and thanks for their support today and thank you and thank you get some acapella or not I need some juice then first. Uh, let's do my it. Voice you is, give it. My voice is dry. If you and give it's got some. nodes on it from the fucking cologne. <laughs> <laughs> if you give us a acapella again, you don't have to. But if you do, I'll be, I'll be thrilled. There's a bunch different. I got three different flavors for you, bro. I got pomegranate and I got some white peach. I got some dope shit, man. Yeah, very bougie juice. Shake it. I would probably shake it. Yeah, it's got, probably got some pulp. I went with the high end shit for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little bit of the new one it's called Myra it, it's about I've been in so many wonderful relationships I've been really lucky and there's always one or two things that go wrong in them and then you end up you know it's like a fungus it just kind of grows and it takes over all the wonderfulness of the relationship so Myra is about when that crappy thing happens that you are making sure you're articulate enough to focus on the positive and save something rather than lose it to pride. Sunde Maira, ye kya hai tere mere damia? Oh, la 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 la, la 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 la. Oh, hore Maira. Love is love, man. Thank you, bro. Peace out. Thank appreciate you so much, that. man. Appreciate it. Ladies and gents, this is the Butter Chicken Podcast. You are now tuned into your boys, DJ Sharad. And DJ Juicy. And we are available where, Mr. Juice Man? Find us on Instagram at Butter Chicken Podcast. Where else are we? That is the hub, and that'll take you uh, everywhere else. And also, uh, we're on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Hub Hopper. Um, Google us. We'll pop up in Google, too. 
Just and what is your personal gram? My personal gram is at DJ Juicy. I am at DJ Sharada. Mr. Raghav, where are you at? Where can they find you Everything on social? Everything is Raghav Worldwide. I love that. All to right, you, man. I want to change that. No, no, we good. It's amazing. Keep it authentic. Ladies and gentlemen, good night. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in. Butter Chicken Podcast. Email us if you think someone that you know should be on our show. Podcast at gmail.com. Peace out. Good night. This